week we are going to study the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. For the benefit of our young friends here, we will give a little background about Bhagavad Gita. That Bhagavad Gita is a dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna. And this dialogue took place in the midst of a battlefield. This is the most unique scripture which has been taught in the midst of a battlefield. I don't think that you will find this anywhere which is very special also because the battlefield also symbolizes our life which does involve many challenges and we have to take those challenges, confront them and thus a number of Conflicts are also involved in our life. Very often we are torn between two opposing kind of forces, two opposing situations, two opposing decisions which appear to be equally, equally valid. And thus human life does involve conflict. And the battlefield symbolizes the kind of conflict that is going on in the human life. Why should there be conflict? Because we are required to make decisions all the time. We have choices in front of us almost in all situations and we have the responsibility to make the right choice. When responsibility comes, then conflict comes. If someone takes responsibility for me and if I just will do things according to someone's instruction, then I have no problem. A servant has no problem who follows the instructions of the master. Because then all the responsibility belongs to the master who makes decisions. But when we have to make decisions then, there is always distress and also uncertainty about what they whether we will be successful or not, whether the action that I take will be, uh, will be successful or not, the question is always there. And because I do not have control over whether my action will result into the desired end, I mean I have the freedom to appear, I mean prepare for the test and appear, but I do not know whether these course will be what I want them to be. And so, there is always uncertainty with reference to the outcome of the effort that we make and this causes stresses in our mind. So various reasons are there but mainly because we have to make, take responsibility for our life. And this can be contrasted with reference to the life of other living beings where there is no responsibility to fulfill. 
All living beings, other than human beings have no responsibility as such. They seem to live the life according to their instincts. The lives are as though programmed and therefore a dog knows what it has to do. What to eat, what not to eat. A cow has no conflict between whether to eat grass or to eat meat, no conflict, because it will naturally choose grass. A tiger also has no conflict whether to eat meat or to eat grass, it will naturally choose meat. And therefore, choices are already as a made for all these living beings, other than human beings. And therefore, they instinctively lead their life as their instinct tells them. And so, there is no conflict in their life. There are no stresses in their life. There are no anxieties in their life. There may be some fear, but then there are no anxieties about future. A dog does not brood about, you know, sitting and brooding what will happen tomorrow. I don't think it does, of course. Swami, how do you know? But then, you know, have you ever entered the mind of a dog? I haven't. But from the behavior of dog, looks like it is living in the present. It doesn't seem to bother about the future and does not even seem to bother about the past, generally also. Forgets the things and usually they live in the present. And so, they seem to be quite happy with what they are, happily leading their life. <coughs> I'm not suggesting that we should become dogs and cats to be happy, but this is just to show the difference between the life of a human being and life of other living beings, how they do not have this kind of challenges in life. They don't have conflicts. They don't have ambitions. A dog does not have an ambition to become a bigger dog, or a cat doesn't have an ambition to become better than a dog or something. These kind of ambitions are not there. They don't even compare themselves with others. A dog doesn't feel that the, the, the master is giving more importance to a cat and then he's ignoring me. I don't think that this kind of complexes are also there because there's no comparison. There are no jealousies. A dog doesn't feel jealous of another dog. A dog in the street, I don't think feels jealous of a dog who is going in the car, you know, because there are some dogs who are very fortunate. The dogs in the United States are getting much better treatment than human beings in many countries actually. Even in this country also. But then I don't think that a street dog feels jealous of a dog going in a car and then worries about it. I don't think so. And why am I, why are we saying all of this? It's just to contrast the life of human being from the life of other living beings. The idea is that human being is born with a special kind of a mind where we are born with ambitions. Human being is an ambitious living being. Always wants to be bigger than what it, he is, better than what he is, and not only better than somebody else. That's, you know, that is another problem. I want to be better than someone else because I keep on comparing myself with others and I often feel jealous of those who I think are better than me. And therefore, thus there is competition. And so human mind has therefore lots of these stresses arising from various struggles that often he himself creates. 
And that is why human mind has lots of conflicts. There are stresses, there are worries, there are anxieties. And all of this is like a battlefield because this kind of, this kind of dynamics obtains in a battlefield. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita is taught in a battlefield, symbolizing that it provides the solution to the problems of human being whose life is comparable to a battlefield. <coughs> and it is a dialogue between Lord Krishna and who else? Arjuna. Okay. You know what was the name of the field, battlefield? Kurukshetra. Kurukshetra. Alright. Oh, oh, somebody else also should answer. Well, uh, what was Lord Krishna doing in the battlefield? What was he doing? Being a chariot here. And what was Arjuna's position in the in the battlefield? He was a warrior. So who was the boss and who was the servant? So uh, when you have a chauffeur-driven car, a chauffeur is driving your car, and you are sitting in the in the back seat. You are the boss or the chauffeur is the boss? Is driver the boss or uh, the warrior the boss? Who is the boss? What is the boss? So who is the warrior? Arjuna is a warrior. Krishna is a warrior? No. Yeah, you see, Lord Krishna is a charioteer. Arjuna is a warrior. And so, who is the boss and who is the servant? Is Lord Krishna the boss? Or then Arjuna. So who is Lord Krishna is a servant, isn't it? Can you imagine? The Lord. Have you ever heard of a God who is a servant? So this is everything is about Bhagavad Gita is very unique. That we have a God who is a servant also, meaning that who does not mind being a servant. This is important. Particularly in the context of India, where people have lots of complexes with reference to what they do. Because a certain task is considered superior to some other task. There are some tasks which are menial and ever many people would not want to do those tasks. Whereas, therefore, the task of a driver would be a menial task. And suppose your friend requested you, Actually, Arjuna and Lord Krishna were very close friends. Suppose your friend requests you, will you please become my driver? Will you take up a job as a driver of your friend? Suppose your friend says, will you please become my driver? Will you please sweep the floors for me? Will you do my dishes? Can you wash my laundry? Would you do that? Would you do that? Pardon me? I said it depends on how much they pay. <laughs> how much they pay? So for the sake of money you don't mind doing anything, I guess, huh? <laughs> so 
It is not easy really to accept any assignment. Particularly when Lord Krishna is the king of Dwarika. He was perhaps the most famous person of his time. One of the most powerful kings. And many people even knew him as God. Incarnation of God. And therefore he enjoyed an extremely important status. And a person like that, when his friend requests him, will you please become my charioteer, become my driver, Lord Krishna said, okay. What does that show? Lord Krishna's willingness to accept the role of a driver also. And not that he has half and servants along with him, you know, that he's, then he keeps few people always busy. Come on, you get the horses, you tie them. It's not that. He did everything that a driver was required to do. This shows the freedom. So Lord Krishna, in fact, teaches Bhagavad Gita, which is nothing but his own self. When Lord Krishna described a sthita pragna or a man of abiding wisdom, we can see all those traits in Lord Krishna himself. Because a king has no hesitation in becoming a driver. That can only happen when he does not have any kind of an ego. He doesn't have any kind of a complex as to I am so and so. He does not judge himself based on what he does. Meaning that what he does is not important for him. To make him greater or smaller. He does not consider himself great because he does some very important work. And does not consider himself small or belittle because he does a menial task. Even these children also when it comes to the cultural program, everybody is not willing to accept every role. When they are acting and play, if everybody will be willing to play the role of a queen, you know, yes. But how about a maid servant? No, I don't have a maid servant. His fellow wants to become a warrior. How about somebody who is holding an umbrella? I said, no, no, don't give me that. How about a gatekeeper? No. In fact, we are not willing even to take a role of a gatekeeper in the play, let alone do it in real life. Because we judge ourselves by what we do. I am great because the role that I play is great or because the task that I perform is great. And I am small because the task that I perform is small. If this is how I judge myself, then naturally, I will not be willing to accept any menial task. But Lord Krishna is not as complex as at all. So that is called freedom, where a person is totally free from complex. And therefore, a person is available to do whatever a situation calls for. What sometimes comes in the way of our responding properly to a situation is our own complexes, our own notions about our status, our own notions about our dignity, our own notions about our, our greatness. 
All of these are ego, and thus, this is what comes in the way very often in our responding properly to situations. Whereas Lord Krishna has no such difficulty at all. So this is also important, that Lord Krishna was a charioteer. And it was very fortunate for Arjuna that Lord Krishna was right there as a charioteer. But does someone know how Lord Krishna happened to be on the side of Arjuna? Have you heard the story? Yeah, we should have had our Guptaji. I forgot that I'm asking questions and we don't have that, uh, that cordless microphone. Alright, so, yes, he knows the story apparently. So, before the battle of Mahabharata began, Arjuna, who was the leader of Pandavas, and Duryodhana, the leader of Kauravas, both of them went to Lord Krishna seeking his help. And Lord Krishna gave an option. Okay, I want to be fair to both of you. Never, I'll give you a choice. So Lord Krishna gave a choice. Either you choose me, or you choose my army. On one side, Either you choose me or choose my army. But further, I will not fight in the battle. I will not wield any weapons. And therefore, without weapons, a non-fighting I on one side and my well-prepared army which will fight on the other side. You make a choice. What will you choose? On one side, there's a big army all ready to fight. He says, you take that or take me who will, who will sit there and do nothing. What will you choose? Anybody will choose the army naturally because what's the use of some person you know, who doesn't do anything for you? And therefore, Duryodhana chose the army. But Lord Krishna, I mean Arjuna chose Lord Krishna. Knowing that Krishna was a Lord. And whether he fights or not, wherever he is, on whichever side he is, there is always going to be victory because ultimately it is not only by our efforts that we gain success. Understand that in our life to gain success, not only we need our effort, but we also need the favor of Ishwara or favor of the Lord, which is called the grace of the Lord. And so success is the result of self-effort plus the grace of the Lord. And therefore, Lord Krishna's presence represents what? The grace of the Lord. Therefore, Arjuna chose him. And that is how Lord Krishna happened to be on the side of the Pandavas. And Arjuna was very intelligent. Lord Krishna said, I will not fight. I will not wield any weapons, which is fine. So Arjuna requested him, O oh Lord, will you please become my charioteer? Because a charioteer doesn't fight. He doesn't have to wield any weapons. And Lord Krishna readily agreed to become the charioteer of Arjuna. That is how in the battlefield, Lord Krishna is a charioteer. Arjuna is the warrior. <coughs> he is the master. Lord Krishna is a servant.
And so that's how this dialogue, which is called Bhagavad Gita, which is a dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna, took place in the, the battlefield of Kurukshetra. <coughs> and as you know very well, what necessitated Bhagavad Gita? Because Arjuna, there a conflict was created in the mind of Arjuna, which usually did not happen in the past. Arjuna had fought many battles, and without any hesitation he did what he needed to do. But in this particular case, just before the commencement of the battle, in Arjuna's mind, a great conflict arose. Because he observed that in both the armies there are all his relatives and near and dear ones. So this was apparently a, a battle between two sides, both of which were all related to each other. So Arjuna observed both the armies and found that his friends, his relatives, his cousins, his uncles, his grandfathers, grandsons, children, all of these were on both sides. And seeing, seeing them on both sides, Arjuna was highly perturbed because he realized that as a result of this battle, all these people will die. And that is why a grief overtook the mind of Arjuna. Thus, Arjuna felt himself incapable of fighting the battle. <coughs> So this is how, in the past, Arjuna had fought many battles, but this kind of a conflict in the mind never arose, and today a conflict arose whether should I fight this battle or not fight the battle. Arjuna knew that he was a Kshatriya, he was a warrior, and therefore it was his duty to fight the battle. Not only fight the battle. But the duty of the warrior is to protect dharma or protect righteousness. The Pandavas represent what we call dharma or righteousness. The Kauravas represent adharma or unrighteousness. So, from one standpoint, this is the battle between the forces representing dharma and the forces representing adharma the righteousness and unrighteousness. So we should not say that the Kshatriya's duty is to fight. The duty of a Kshatriya or a warrior is to protect dharma. And very often protecting dharma or righteousness requires that you must actively resist the forces of a dharma. You do not attack others. However, you have to protect yourself and protect dharma. Therefore, Arjuna is a Kshatriya and his duty is to offer an active resistance against the evil. Fight the forces of adharma or evil. And that is what Duryodhana represented. Sometimes I ask this question, the Swamiji there are many noble people on the Kaurava side also, like Bhishma, Drona and others. So how do you say that they are all, they, they are all unrighteous? They themselves personally may not be unrighteous, but anyway they chose to be 
on the side of Duryodhana who represented Adharma and therefore all of them also in effect are nothing but the forces of Adharma. And therefore Arjuna was required to fight against all of them to protect Dharma of righteousness. So this is a battle as we said between the forces representing Dharma and forces representing Adharma. Pandavas and Arjuna represent Dharma. Duryodhana, Kauravas represent Adharma. So he is quite aware of this. Aware of what his duty is. What is responsibility. As we said, thus the human being has in fact to take responsibility in every situation. And that is what creates conflict. Here, on one side, there was a duty to fight. On the other side, were all the near and dear ones. There were those attachment. Attachment on one side, duty on the other side. This is how the conflicting forces were pulling the mind of Arjuna. On one side, his affection towards his relatives and near and dear ones, which told him not to fight. On the other side, his own awareness of himself being a warrior. And therefore, one part of his mind says that you have to fight this battle because it is a duty. Thus, the conflict between attachment and duty. So that is why Arjuna could not make a decision. It appeared as though the forces of attachment were much stronger. And therefore, actually Arjuna made a decision on his part, or at least he said to Lord Krishna, O Lord, I do not think that I should fight this battle, because I do not see any good coming out of fighting with my relatives. When such an amount of conflict went on in his mind, even though he kept on arguing, he also presented many arguments before Lord Krishna as to why this battle should not be fought. But inside, he did not, he was not convinced with his own arguments also. And therefore, his mind full of conflict, mind filled with grief or sadness, he became just incapable of making any decision. And the end of the first chapter describes Arjuna having presented his case before Lord Krishna. Arjuna, whose mind was filled with grief or sadness, collapsed in the middle of his chariot, leaving aside his bow and his weapons, the bow and arrow were cast aside, and he sat down in the middle of the chariot. His mind completely filled with grief. And thus, the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita essentially describes the grief or vishada of Arjuna. <clears throat> as far as, again, the lesson that we have to learn from this is that this grief or sadness is not something unique to Arjuna. It is something that every human being faces. What caused grief in the mind of Arjuna may be unique to Arjuna's situation. And what may cause grief in our mind would be a different situation. And therefore, 
we don't have to pass through the situation that Arjuna passed through. But we do confront with ourselves a mind which very often becomes overcome by grief or sadness. And thus, Bhagavad Gita does not address necessarily only the problem of Arjuna, but Bhagavad Gita addresses problem of every human being who is generally suffering from this grief or sadness. You may be surprised to hear that generally every conscious person has an undercurrent of grief or sadness within himself or herself. We may not be aware of it. Sometimes it requires a certain situation or certain event to trigger what is inside. And that is what happened to Arjuna also. That this situation in the midst of battlefield, where there was a prospect of the death of so many near and dear ones, it became a triggering point, which triggered actually the underlying grief or sadness which was already there in Arjuna. Although we may say that Arjuna became sad or he became overcome by grief at this point, but we should really say that that grief or sadness is there within. Usually we keep ourselves occupied with one activity or the other and not let grief or sadness in fact overtake us. We very often we avoid confronting our own mind and keep ourselves occupied with one activity or other. And thus, very often, life of human being becomes a life of nothing but escaping from one's own self. And Arjuna also kept himself very busy with one activity after another throughout his life. He was one of the most active ones in all the five Pandavas. He spent all these years, twelve years, doing various penance and acquiring number of weapons. The Sarjuna was a highly accomplished person. And still, he had no opportunity to really know himself, or no opportunity also to know his mind correctly. No opportunity to recognize what is in the depth of his mind. What makes him do what all he is doing? What makes him seek one goal after the other? One accomplishment after the other? So what makes him do that, he never realized. For example, various desires arise in our mind. A desire is for acquiring something that I don't have, or becoming something that I am not, and desires, one after the other, arise in our mind. As the desires arise, we keep on fulfilling them, thinking that that is what we will do, because when a desire arises in the mind, I become very uncomfortable. When there is a desire in the mind, mind becomes uncomfortable. Somehow, I and desire cannot go together. There is a desire occurring in the mind, can be compared to a little speck of dust entering my eyes, 
falling and there I become uncomfortable. A little bug entering my ear, how I become uncomfortable? So also, when a desire arises in my mind, I become uncomfortable. And therefore, to become free from the discomfort, I fulfill that desire. When the desire is fulfilled, that bug of the desire seems to go away momentarily. I feel comfortable. I feel happy. Until another desire comes, another bug enters, makes me uncomfortable, and I again proceed to fulfill that desire. That's what human being keeps on doing. The desires keep on arising, he keeps on fulfilling them. Because he finds the whole world doing that also, so he also keeps doing that. And maybe that or the whole life will go away also, and, you know, you, he may not know any better. Only when someone is placed in a situation like Arjuna was placed, when he was forced, in fact, to confront his own mind, and he was forced to confront the very causes, what causes this desires? That is when Arjuna had, really Arjuna was, able to come in contact with what was deeply lying in his own heart. That ultimately every desire is a result of some kind of a grief or sadness which is within oneself. And thus, even though I keep on fulfilling desire, the sadness seems to be avoided for time being, but then the sadness, as long as the fundamental problem is not solved, the very same sadness comes back in form of some other desires, and yet another desire, and I think that every desire is different from every other desire, which may be so, in the form, every desire may be different from every other desire, but as far the cause is concerned, every desire is caused by just one thing, and that is a sense of inadequacy, a sense of incompleteness within myself. And thus, human being suffers from an inherent sense of inadequacy within himself. He feels that he is not adequate, that he is not all right as he is, and that I'll become all right when I do something, when I become bigger than what I am, better than what I am, wealthier than what I am, and thus, you know, to become adequate, he keeps on doing things, which is what Arjuna also was doing. But then, at this time, even though a given situation created grief or sadness in mind of Arjuna, Arjuna recognized that it is not merely the situation, it is something else that is causing this grief. And that is how he sought the, he took the refuge of Lord Krishna. And he requested Lord Krishna to please teach him. Yashreyasyat nishchitam bruhitanme shishyasteham sadhimam tvam prapannam O Lord, please tell me that by which I can become once and for all free from this inner inadequacy. I can become free once and for all from this discomfort arising from desire. A desire itself is not, is not right or wrong. It is the cause of desire which is what is important. You see, in fact, a person who is a complete person, or a person who is happy, can also have perhaps desire. 
to make somebody else happy. So there can be a desire also to make somebody else happy. A desire arising out of happiness is possible. I'm so happy that I just feel generous and okay, I become very generous, charitable, come on, take this. So thus, desires are possible even out of happiness also. And therefore we should not only say desire as such, but desire arising out of a sense of unhappiness or a sense of inadequacy, a sense of sadness, it is that desire which is what we call the binding desire and which is, which represents certain problem of a human being. So in the battlefield, Arjuna really became aware of some very deep-seated problem in his heart. He became aware of some deep-seated grief or sadness in his heart. And for which he realized that he had no solution. And that is what made him take the refuge of Lord Krishna. He surrendered to Lord Krishna and said, Oh Lord, I am your disciple. I am surrendered to you. You please teach me that by which I can become free from this grief or sadness or incompleteness once and for all by which knowledge I can gain the success or fulfillment or happiness in my life once and for all. That gives me a lasting happiness. That gives me a lasting sense of fulfillment. I know that I have been happy now and then. But then everything that, every, every time my desire is fulfilled, there is experience of happiness. Except that it is short-lived. Because as we said this morning also, there is nothing that can give me a lasting sense of happiness. Everything seems to have a capacity to give me happiness for a little while. And then I get used to that. And then my mind wants something else. Thus, uh, thus Bhagavad Gita, until then, Lord Krishna did not say anything. Lord Krishna allowed Arjuna to say whatever he wanted to say, until Arjuna himself realized that the problem is not just what we call a topical problem. Not a situational problem, but there is a fundamental problem. That human being has a fundamental problem. And that problem is, in fact, with his own self. And that's what creates problems outside of myself. That what we call the topical problems, or situational problems, ultimately are the manifestations of an inner fundamental problem that the human being has with his own self. <clears throat> and what is that? That I am not happy with myself. I am not satisfied with myself. I am not adequate as I am. And thus, I have problem with my own self. <clears throat> so there, there are two kinds of problems in our life. One, you may call the fundamental problem, which is equally applicable to all the human beings. Other is what we call situational problem or topical problem which is unique with every individual. So my situational problem would be different from your situational problems and therefore we think that each one has a, has a different problem. But then the fundamental problem from which my situational problem arises is the same fundamental problem that you have. 
And therefore, Bhagavad Gita provides a solution to this fundamental problem of human being, which is a sense of inadequacy about oneself, which gives rise to a sense of dissatisfaction with one's own self, and which is what causes sadness or grief. So this is the background of Bhagavad Gita, and it is very important that what the first chapter of Gita, in the first few verses of the second chapter, what they describe is a transformation that took place within Arjuna. When Arjuna came to battlefield, he came as a warrior who wanted to win this battle, who wanted victory and kingdom and everything that a person wants. It's in course of all the the uh, the deliberation that took place in his mind that he became from a desirer of victory to a desirer of knowledge. And thus the conversion of Arjuna into what we call a jignyasu, the one who is desirous of knowledge. <clears throat> so this is important. And this can only happen to someone like Arjuna. Because Arjuna did live a life of dharma or righteousness. That's important. Even though otherwise Arjuna may be a worldly person like others, but important thing is Arjuna lived the life of dharma, lived life of righteousness. And it shows that that is what can bring about the state of mind where a desire for knowledge can arise. People sometimes ask this question, how nice would it have been, Swamiji, if Lord Krishna taught Bhagavad Gita Duryodhana, you know? If Lord Krishna taught Gita to Duryodhana, that would have been, then there would have been no war. Even Lord Krishna could not teach Duryodhana. You can teach someone who wants to learn. You can teach someone, who, and who wants to learn? One who has value for knowledge. Who is value for knowledge? Only one who thinks that the knowledge is valuable. And why would I think when? Why would I, when would I think the knowledge is valuable? When I realize that whatever difficulties or problems I have in my life can be solved by knowledge. Basically, I am just interested in being happy. That is all I am interested in. And whatever I look upon as source of happiness also becomes important to me. If this insight arises in my mind that my unhappiness is not due to lack of something, my unhappiness is not because I have this and I do not have that. Usually, we always think that I am unhappy because something is there or something is not there. What I do not like is there, therefore I am unhappy. What I like is not there, therefore I am unhappy. This is my usual conclusion. And therefore, I go about getting rid of what I do not like and acquiring what I like, thinking that that way the unhappiness will go. This is what the usual understanding of a person is, and as long as this is understanding so long, we'll keep on doing things as prompted by our likes and dislikes. It's only when a person recognizes that no, there is something more than that. 
that my unhappiness is not because I have, I do not have something. That even when I have that, then also I think this unhappiness will not go. That's what Arjuna recognized today. Kinno Rajena Govinda Kim Bhogehi Jivitenava. He came into battlefield to acquire, to gain victory, to acquire kingdom, thinking that that is what will give him success and happiness. That was his perception. And that's why he came into battlefield to fight the battle. But then, in course of his deliberation, he recognized, Kinno Rajena Govinda Kim Bhogehi Jivitenava. Oh Lord, suppose I get kingdom, so what? If I get victory, so what? If I get kingdom, so what? If I get all the means of happiness, so what? Which means that in that state of sadness or grief also, Arjuna could recognize the limitations of victory and kingdom and all the the means, so-called means of happiness. He could recognize the limitations of them. And realize that even if he had all of them still, that grief you are suffering from will not go. As long as you thought that acquiring those things will make him happy, so long he will proceed to do that. But today, he realized that even if he acquired everything, and still the grief or sadness in his heart will not go, and that is why he sought a solution from Lord Krishna. He realized that it is not something out there, because something is out there, or something is not out there that causes this, it is something in me that is causing this thing. That means the cause of my unhappiness lies within me and not without me. It is that realization which is important. Then alone I will seek a solution that Arjuna sought. Until then I will not seek. Nobody is, who is interested in Vedanta? Everybody is interested in being happy, understand, you know. Nobody comes here just for the sake of Vedanta. I don't think they should also. Everybody comes here to solve the problems of their life. Everybody wants to be successful in their life. Everybody wants to be happy in their life. Although we say I am seeking truth, etc., maybe. Basically, human being is seeking happiness. And whatever he or she thinks will give that happiness is what in fact becomes important. So therefore to gain this insight and understand that each one of us also should gain this insight for Bhagavad Gita or for Vedanta to become relevant to our life. This insight and this clarity has to come in me that the cause of my unhappiness or sadness or grief lies within myself and not without myself. And further, it is something that I have not understood rightly. Perhaps there is a problem with the way I perceive things and therefore it is necessary to understand things correctly. If that insight comes, then occurs there a desire to know things correctly. That is how in Arjuna all this must have happened. And that's how all of us are in says to Lord Krishna. Shashyasteham sadhimantvam prabandham. O Lord, I am your disciple. Please teach me. I am surrendered to you. Thus, Arjuna recognized the value of knowledge. Because he realized that 
whatever difficulty he had, whatever conflict he had, whatever kind of problem of sadness or grief he had, could only be solved by this right understanding, by the knowledge, and that is how he sought knowledge from Lord Krishna. And we should also spend whatever time that is necessary with our own self and do our own homework and and, and, and see this fact that whatever I am seeking in life, success, etc. is nothing but that success or happiness can be gained only when some transformation happens within me Right now I am busy transforming and changing the world around me, thinking that by doing that I will meet a situation which is perfect for me. And therefore I acquire, I do I various things? A person gets married, hoping that, has children, also hoping that, gains wealth, hoping that, gains various things, which is out of fine. Everything is fine in itself. But if I think that those things will somehow solve my problem, then that is not going to work. That isn't, there is a need for recognition that something has to happen to me. Some change or transformation has to happen to me. The change in my perception, transformation in my perception has to happen. And that is where knowledge becomes important. So understand that knowledge should become the most important thing in our life. Then alone, we, then alone our priorities will be very clear. Otherwise this doesn't get the priority. Everything else gets the priority. And this always is pushed aside. For Arjuna, his priority became knowledge. Can you imagine the midst of battlefield? He, his bow and arrow is set aside. He's just sitting there. People ask this question, Swami, what were other people doing at that time? You know? In the modern time they will attack him, but not at that time. There was a certain code of conduct in the battlefield and therefore you should not attack a person who is without the weapon. Only when Arjuna takes the weapon in his hand and shoots the arrow, then other people also will shoot their weapons. And therefore everybody stood there silently or watched silently as to what is the outcome of this dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna. Whereas other people did not have the benefit of hearing this dialogue. The only one who heard was Arjuna. And Sanjaya, who had a special gift of seeing and hearing what was happening in battlefield. And one more person also heard, Hanumanjana, who was in the, in the, uh, in his flag, apparently he also heard. And in fact, when you are listening to the scripture, you should not be sitting up there, you should sit down there. So actually Hanuman thus, uh, traditionally speaking, he, he definitely incurred a certain, he committed an offense by listening to this Gita where he was. And so Lord Krishna said, okay, you must do prayasitta, act of atonement. So he, uh, Hanuman, you write a bhashya on my Bhagavad Gita. And that will release you from the sin or offense that is committed on account of listening to Gita being in that position, higher than Guru. So it is said that 
Hanuman ji wrote a bhashya, it's called Pishaj Bhashya on Bhagavad Gita. That is a bhashya. Anyway, so as I said, and, and Dhritarashtra also heard Bhagavad Gita, of course. So Arjuna, Sanjaya, and Dhritarashtra, these people. But nothing happened to Dhritarashtra in spite of hearing Bhagavad Gita. Same would have happened to Duryodhana also, nothing would have happened to him. There were many suggestions given by Sanjaya in course of this dialogue where he suggested Dhritarashtra, please tell your ch- children to withdraw, to, to, you know, declare a truce and not fight this battle. That you're not going to win, they are, they are going to lose. But Dhritarashtra did not hear. Meaning that listening to this Bhagavad Gita did not do anything to Dhritarashtra. It did something to Arjuna because Arjuna was ready for, for this knowledge. And that is how as we said, knowledge is what solves the fundamental problem of human being because the problem is one of ignorance. Ignorance of the true nature of my own self, which ignorance in turn brings about a false notion or false perception of myself. So understand that it is the wrong perception or false perception of myself which causes grief and it is the right perception of myself which will remove the grief. This is as simple as that. And therefore, Lord Krishna proceeds to give the right perception of self right away to Arjuna. And then also talks about Karma Yoga. Thus in second chapter, we find Lord Krishna teaching Jnana Yoga or imparting knowledge of the self to Arjuna as well as Karma Yoga also the way of living life. The third chapter, that discourse on Karma Yoga continues, and third chapter primarily teaches Karma Yoga, and then comes the fourth chapter, which is what we are going to study. We'll continue tomorrow. <clears throat> Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmevi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaham Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaham Harihi Om